The following talk was given by Bear Gokon Bonabakura at Zen Mountain Monastery. Gokon is a senior monastic and dharma holder in the Mountains and Rivers Order. He serves as director of operations at Zen Mountain Monastery and also helps run the National Buddhist Prison Sangha. This talk, like all of our talks, is given free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. This is from the Eight Awarenesses of the Bodhisattva. The Eighth Awareness, Avoiding Idle Talk. Having realization and being free from discrimination it is what is what is called avoiding idle talk. To totally know the true form of all things is the same as being without idle talk. The Buddha says, when you monks engage in various kinds of idle talk, your minds are disturbed. Although you have left home and become monks, you are still not liberated. Therefore, you monks must quickly abandon mind-disturbing idle talk. If you would like to attain the joy of the extinction of delusion, you must first simply extinguish the affliction of idle talk. This is what avoiding idle talk means. So the last of these eight awarenesses, teachings which are um, in the Mahayana presented as, as the Buddha's last teaching. So that's not historical. That is kind of the context in which these teachings are presented. And the Dogen took up, and it does seem like historically this was one of his last teachings, to take up this teaching of the Buddha and comment just a very little bit on it. The sixth and the seventh were practicing samadhi and cultivating wisdom, which were a little intimidating challenge to speak clearly about. And then here we are with idle talk as the last teaching. Maizumi Roshi, in his comments on this, says, after all the complicated teachings the Buddha offered in his lifetime, these plain words are what he, call, what he offers as his last teaching. We should carefully consider what he really means and what each of us usually understands by idle talk. He offers these plain words. If you would like to attain the joy of the extinction of delusion, you must first simply extinguish the affliction of idle talk. So this is a teaching about words, about language. There is an emphasis, a lot of teaching in Buddhism and Zen about language, how do we use it, what happens when we use it, bringing our awareness to the power of language, the great ills that we can create through our speech. Wars are begun, lives are destroyed. We also can create peace, heal, In the Eightfold Path, the right, right speech usually talks about not using speech that is divisive, but speaking truthfully, and about avoiding idle talk. And it can seem that the last 
this avoiding idle talk, or sometimes it's translated as idle chatter. It could seem like that is the least important because it's so clear what happens. Look around, the divisive speech, the power, or when truth is not upheld. What is lost? How is it when we are lost in idle talk? Right speech in the Eightfold Path comes in the, kind of in the section on morality. Right speech, right action, right livelihood. How do we use our body, our speech? And these moral teachings are grounded in harmony, guidelines in teachings in how to be in harmony with ourselves, with others, with things. And our teachings in generally in, in abstaining from what is unwholesome and com- being committed to doing, practicing what is wholesome. And that's a translation. Sometimes people have a, a reaction to that wholesome and unwholesome. It feels like, sounds like, Puritans, or it could be repressive. It's also translated sometimes as skillful and unskillful. I found a sutra that where the Buddha speaks about skillful and un- unskillful, the roots of that, some more simple words. And basically he says that what is unskillful is what is born, what arises out of, grows out of greed, aversion, and confusion, delusion. In a sense, our unskillful acts are a manifestation of these states of mind. And creating suffering, leading to suffering. And that what is skillful arises from a lack of greed, aversion, delusion simply from a lack of those. Those are not present. And that does not lead to, to suffering. And so this skillful and unskillful is really helpful. And sometimes people, you know, they, they say, well, like, what would the Buddha do? That's your own, this, is, this can be your own test. Is this skillful or is it unskillful? What I'm about to do or what I am doing What is it that I'm creating? And these moral teachings in Buddhism, they're the precepts, as we usually call them in Zen. You know, they are ethical teachings because it matters what we do. We have an effect on others. We have an effect. And the practice of the precepts are part of the path, part of the path of liberation, as everything in Buddhism is. And so, in working with the precepts, we're cultivating the mind. We're working with our own mind. So kind of working from the outside, working from the inside. But are these different? In the Bodhisattva precepts, which we work with here, there are three precepts which speak specifically to speech, manifest 
truth, do not lie. See the perfection, do not speak of others' errors and faults. Realize self and other as one. Do not elevate the self and blame others. These last two are, I find, particularly helpful. They kind of work together for me. See the perfection, do not speak of others' errors and faults. When we do speak of faults, we're not seeing the perfection. When we speak of faults, what are we creating? Why do we do that? Why do we criticize, blame? Realizing self and other is one, do not elevate the self and blame others. How is it that we elevate the self? That we blame with words? Again, what are we creating? What's happening when we do that? And of course, to notice that this isn't just speaking words, speaking them out loud. How much do we speak of others without saying it out loud to ourselves, blaming, judging? What does this do? Appreciating and looking at these precepts, um, Dada Roshi's affirmative aspect of the precepts. I don't know, actually, if that's sort of unique to the way he taught the precepts. But see the perfection. Realize self and other is one. Don't speak of faults because what does that do? And see the perfection because that's the nature of things, the true form of things. And so what about this idle talk? The Buddha says, when you monks engage in various kinds of idle talk, your minds are disturbed. Although you have left home and become monks, you are still not liberated. Therefore, you monks must quickly abandon mind-disturbing idle talk. A number of the other of these awarenesses, I've changed the wording a little bit and taken out. He, he, um, it seems that in this sutra, the Buddha was um, sitting in the front, in front of a group of monastics, speaking to monastics, and so calling them monks, monastics. And so I've changed that, most of the other ones, to practitioners. Clearly, his teachings are meant for all of us. It is the same mind. But this teaching seemed more particular and maybe helpful for all of us. He's saying just because you have become a monk doesn't mean you have put down idle talk. Just because we are sitting here in the zendo, wearing a robe, taking our seat for zazen. We can sit in zazen and be lost in idle talk, conceptualizing, creating. He says, when you engage in various kinds of idle talk, your minds are disturbed. And so this is what idle talk 
teaching and idle talk is pointing to, the way that we disturb the mind, stir ourselves up, distract ourselves. Why do we do that? Why do we like to stir ourselves up? Why do we love our little dramas that we create? The monastics here, one of the vows that we take is one of simplicity. And one of the ways that I've been working with that myself, sort of speaking to myself about that, is is to pay attention to when I am not, I am, um, when I am um, complicating my relatively simple life with worry, with just kind of stirring things up in my mind. And traditionally, the teachings about idle talk are about abstaining from idle talk ourselves. Bhikkhu Bodhi points out that, and he said this quite some years ago, that in our time, we might also look at this from a little bit of a different perspective. What are we, it's not just that what we are saying ourselves, but what are we bringing into our mind? What are we taking in? And what is the result of that? What are we creating in our mind with what we take in? Media, content. And so to look again, well, what is skillful and unskillful? What are we creating? This also made me think about, Sugar Roshi sometimes talks about how we, we have the greatest influence on ourselves. I was wondering whether the, sort of the balance of that has changed. Something we might also look at. We're maybe not alone so much. Not just with what's happening in our mind, what we are saying in our mind. So what do we create with our speech? Are we careless in our speech? Are we aware of what we're creating in our speech? This question, what are you creating, is something that Shawan used to say to me when I was being, pitying myself or complaining or being self-critical. She would just say, what are you creating? She wouldn't sort of respond to me. That would be her response. It was very helpful. Right? It's important to hear what we say, to hear what we say to, about ourselves. There are things that we say about ourselves out loud to others. What does this create? Is what we say about ourselves true? I sometimes hear myself downstairs in the dining hall. I have a lot of conversations with people who are here for the first time just asking questions, asking me about me, and kind of hearing myself sometimes and saying, and wondering, like, is that true, what I'm saying about myself? Or is that still true? Has that changed? And to hear the things that we say about ourselves that nobody else hears, that we may never say out loud, for some of us to hear the things that we might never say to someone else. 
but we say them to ourselves. I was remembering a Dharma sibling saying that they never really swore, like really used curse words, except when they were talking to themselves. So to hear what we say to ourselves and to pay attention, what is that creating? What is that creating? I think this is what Shugen was pointing to, that we have the greatest effect on ourselves. We're always with ourselves. We may be always talking to ourselves. What are we saying? What is that creating? What view of ourselves are we creating? And so to listen carefully, to listen carefully. Some of these things that we say are very quiet, can take time to hear them. That was my experience in working with, in beginning to be able to hear what I said to myself, all the self-criticism, that it took, I couldn't hear it for a long time. There was just struggle. Starting to hear it was a turning point. Being able to work with it then. And we should hear what we say about others. Again, the things that we say out loud. And to listen. Again, to listen, what do we learn about ourselves? Is what we're saying about others similar to what we're saying about ourselves? There can be a clue there. There may be the same energy there that comes out, it's turned inwards. In the retreat that Sean and I were offering last week, um, we were talking about the paramitas. And um, it came up that people were saying, well, you know, so like with generosity, giving, patience. And the people were saying, well, I see how I offer these, I can offer these to other people, but it's difficult for me to offer them to myself. I was thinking that really this, so the same thing applies for the, they are meant to be offered to ourselves and the precepts as well. I cannot see the perfection here if I'm just speaking of faults, just seeing faults, just creating. But so with others to really listen, pay attention. What is it? What is the view of others that we are creating with our words, whether we're saying them out loud or not? And again, to listen carefully. They may be quiet. They may be difficult to hear. But there is a view that we are creating, that we are carrying. With individuals, with people who we know. And with groups, people who we may not know. What is the view? What is the effect? Dogen says, having realization and being free from discrimination is what is called avoiding idle talk. To totally know the true form of all things is the same as being being without idle talk. So what is this discrimination? Is it to be free from discrimination? 
And so again, teaching about language, the power of language, the kind of creative power of language. What happens when we give something a name, when we call something in our mind? What does it become? Right? It's not the word itself. But what does that mean to us in our mind? Projecting a concept onto something. Again, what are we creating? Dadaroshi used to, um, when talking about emptiness, would talk about roaminess. That was his kind of his go-to example, as I remember. So we'd say, what is, can you, you can't point to roomness. In a way, you could say there is no such thing as a room. There are walls and windows, floor, colors, shapes, space. But where is the room? What is the room? Well, we call it a room. And so we would call it a room. What are we seeing? What are we experiencing? We need names, concepts, categories. But can we know that they are just that? The Buddha said it is a convenient designation. They are convenient. It's convenient to be able to say, I'll meet you downstairs in the dining hall. We know what we're talking about. We need that to function. So having these concepts, these categories, but then what do we do with them? What are they doing? What are we seeing when we see a person, when we see a thing, an object, a thought? To know the true form of things. In the Diamond Sutra, the Buddha says, I'm paraphrasing, I think, this body is not a body. This not a body is not a body. Therefore, it is a body. The Buddha says, if you would like to attain the joy of the extinction of delusion, you must first simply extinguish the affliction of idle talk. Stop conceptualizing and you'll be free. But how is that? How is it that conceptualizing leads to attachment, to confusion? It's difficult to see. It's difficult to see. We're so accustomed to thinking. So accustomed to thinking. It's difficult to see that we're doing it. It's difficult to see what's happening, what we're creating. Difficult to see its effects. We hear a sound. We call it something. We have a reaction to that. Do we like it? Do we not like it? Start to create a story about it? Have an opinion about it? What is that doing? How is it that 
whatever our reaction is, we've done something, something, or something has happened. We've put ourselves outside. So the practices that we do are to help us see, to help us see, reveal our mind to us. And so to see that we're thinking is why at the beginning, or maybe a lot of the time, it can seem like Zazen's making things worse because we're just seeing all the activity in our mind. Really, I'm thinking this much all the time? Seems like maybe it only happens during Zazen. (laughs) I feel all of these things. I have all of these reactions all of the time. But good, right? It's working. Our mind revealed. We get to see what's happening. Seeing the thoughts, we can pay attention. Well, what are they? What's happening? What is the effect of the thoughts that we have? And seeing thoughts, we can work with them. We can work to let go. We can work to learn to allow this thinking mind to settle. It's quiet. How is it when the mind settles? This thinking mind. And so, our Zen practices are kind of inviting us in, closer, come closer. So working with the breath, don't think about it. There's no need to think about it. Just bringing your awareness to your breath. When thoughts arise, okay. Don't need to think about them. Just see them. No need for judgment. No need for further thought. Let them go. And as we do develop some stability, some concentration, learning to allow the thinking mind to rest, not stopping or cutting off, Right? Always to be careful about that, to be aware of that possibility. It's just allowing the mind to rest. Letting the thinking mind rest. And then practices which are inviting us again closer to be more intimate. And so working with the breath, there is a practice of being the breath. Again, don't think about it. There's no need to think about it. You can't figure it out. Don't do anything with it. What is it to be the breath? And she can tell us, what is just awareness? Can't figure it out. What is that not doing anything? Just, just aware. And really all of the practices that we do, it's the same practice. We're doing Kintin, just walk. You don't have to think about it. Just walk. During caretaking, just sweep. When we're chanting, just chant. And all of these practices reveal our minds to us also if we pay attention. It's hard to just chant. It is not what we're accustomed to doing. So to see that, just to see the distraction, what is that? What's happening when we're doing one thing and thinking about another thing? Is there a problem? 
Is it suffering? And to kind of trust the teachings, these, um, you know, I've sort of been thinking, it's like, what is practice and what are the teachings? What are these practice teachings pointing to? They're pointing to something. They are inviting us to something. We should trust that. They're pointing to something which is difficult to see. Azumi Roshi says that in this translation, when Dogen says, to know true form, and I believe Azumi Roshi himself did this translation, but he says, he says, you know, this, this to know does not really reach it. That the word that he's translating is one that Dogen uses frequently and that means exhaustively or thoroughly, means to clarify completely. I think of the places where Dogen says, study this well, study this thoroughly, and then study it more. (laughs) Study it more. And so interesting, what is, what, is, what is it to know? Right? Is that not fixed? Is that not finished? To study this thoroughly and then study more. So many of the teachings about language, about speech, Precepts about language are you know, focus on the on the the harm that we can cause or the unskillful ways that we can use speech. But if we can bring things into being with our words, with our thoughts, why not bring good things into being? We do this. This is what we're doing in liturgy. So we're doing it all the time. We don't talk about it, maybe. There aren't sort of explicit teachings about it, maybe, or that we have. But to listen, I, I often you know, say, particularly people who are new to, to liturgy, like listen to the dedications, what the liturgist says on all or our behalf. What are we creating together? And so there is this power to words, this creative power. I feel like I've been learning this myself just in my, in my own personal liturgy, sort of seeing and, um, how you do have to say it. You have to say it. You know, so the four measurables that we chant in the morning. Well, of course I want all beings to be free from suffering, to know happiness. But to say that does something. To say that and be inside of it does something. Creates something. And that's not always an easy place for me. Do I have to say it? And we bring forth goodness in simple ways with our speech. 
right? I assume Roshi talked about simple words, plain words, just a simple conversation. Another sort of growing edge for me. Sometimes I think I could use a little more idle talk in that way. And I'm told that. (laughs) (laughs) So I wasn't sure how to end this. Um, So I think I'm going to end with some plain and simple words from Maizumi Roshi. Again, I said a little bit in my last talk, but I've really appreciated working with his, with his teaching, sort of feeling, the, feeling our lineage through these teachings. And so these are his last words on the eight awarenesses. He says, it's nice to see that we are practicing and growing together. I really hope that you'll thoroughly accomplish your practice. By doing so, you can benefit not only yourself and the people around you, but also many other people. In connection with this eighth awareness regarding speech, let us be mindful. Living together, let us try not to say anything which might harm or hurt other people and destroy our practice. Let us be kind and helpful and pursue our practice together. Plain, simple words. Thanks so much for listening. For meditation supplies such as cushions, incense, liturgical instruments, dharma books, and more, visit monasterystore.org. Support for your spiritual practice at home.